From the foothills of Alberta come the largest supplies of oil yet discovered in Canada. Industrialism in the Maritimes is largely confined to the coal mines. Canada's Pacific seaboard has thrived on its riches of lumber, minerals... Heading for rail connection with outside markets. ...from a predominantly agricultural economy to widespread industrialization, which has most surely altered this nation's future. The Canadian economy has evolved a lot since then. We're experiencing massive change thanks to AI, machine learning, and big data. I'm Sean Stanley, head of the Globe Content Studio at the Globe and Mail. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to introduce you to Canadian businesses and innovators that are disrupting the status quo and transforming how their industries operate. We'll look at what's changing. Where are these industries going? And what does it mean for you as a consumer? This This is is Industry Interrupted. Industry Interrupted. Interrupted. Thank you to Fidelity Investments, the sponsor of this episode. We live in a time of accelerating innovation. New technology is transforming our world and the investment landscape. Ask your financial advisor about Fidelity Investments or visit fidelityinnovators.ca. We begin with a check-in on Canada's healthcare industry. The doctor-patient relationship used to be straightforward. The doctor was the expert. The patients received that expertise, and that was that. Then came medical and health apps. There are hundreds of thousands of them on the market, helping patients monitor pain, track their heart rates, manage their sleep, and these apps are having a big impact on medical care. Now they're using machine learning and advanced algorithms. These applications are being built to tap into databases and accumulate knowledge in ways a doctor never could. So instead of diagnosing us, our doctors may start predicting our health issues based on the data that's collected. Our first guest, Jan Fassat, is vice president at Click Labs, which develops digital healthcare devices. Click has invented an algorithm to help diabetics better predict their blood glucose levels, which can have a significant impact on their life expectancy. Yan, how is this different from what diabetics do now? So diabetic patients right now manage their, especially type 1 diabetes, they manage their blood glucose level by injecting insulin in them in reaction to what they know the present is. It's very much like a thermostat works in a room. It realizes the room is too cold. I'm going to turn up the furnace. It doesn't really see the future. Uh, Patients have a bit of a view in the future. So if you're about to eat a slice of cake, you're going to inject insulin ahead of time because you know your blood glucose would rise. But that's a lot of work on the patient side. With an algorithm that can see how you behave, how your metabolism behave for a few days and then start making prediction. If you have an insulin pump, like an artificial pancreas, that pump can now react to what the future would be. This is sort of like going from a basic thermostat to a nest that would sort of anticipate that, ooh, it's almost six o'clock, I should warm up the house because you're coming home soon. So how do you think this will change both the behavior of doctors and their patients? How is this going to have an impact on their lives and on their practice? So for patients, the the primary impact is better care, better health, better longevity, because as opposed to having your blood glucose level go up and down all the time, and then you know, shifting them up if they're down or shifting them down if they're up, you could maintain them at a much more steady state, which is, for health standpoint, that's hugely beneficial. For physician, it also provides data. So not only those apps or those algorithms manage the patient better, they also generate a ton of information that allows the doctor to see you as a different person from someone else. Right now, if you're a type 1 diabetic, you're a type 1 diabetic. But now you will be 
you as a type 1 diabetic versus somebody else, and your metabolism is different. We've seen that in the data from multiple patients. It's a separate algorithm per patient. They all have the same condition, they all have the same insulin pump, and yet they all need a different algorithm to predict their glucose. So do you feel like current treatments are old school or a little bit old-fashioned, and is this really taking us into a new frontier? I mean, I don't want to put them down by seeing they're old school. They're the best we have right now, but they tend to be very reactive. Medicine is very much something you use when you have a problem. You break your arm, you get a cast. Um, as opposed to with algorithm, we can start to sort of extend our vision into the into the future, whether it's 30 minutes, whether it's two years, depending on what condition we're talking about, which means we can start taking much softer approach to medicine. It's a bit like... Um, the example of driving. If you have a driving car that has a camera that looks right in front of the car, one meter ahead, it's it's going to drive very jerkily. and say, oh, there's a pedestrian, I should turn right. There's a corner, I should turn left. Whereas if you look 200 meters ahead of you, you're going to drive much smoother because you know what's happening. Medicine is entering this world where we can predict and we can act gently. So are the doctors going to have a hard time with too much data? In other words, are they going to be able to do a proper amount of analysis for all of their patients, or are they going to be overwhelmed? That's actually a huge problem that's coming out with data, because the first phase, when you enter a world where there's more and more data, the first step is you just produce a lot of data. Eventually, you digest it, and you just come out with the insights. We're not quite there where we can give the just the nuggets to the physicians. So there's a tendency to overwhelm them with data. I think that's just a transient problem. This would be quickly solved by fancier algorithms and, and analytics that would say, this patient's about to go into a some condition or some crisis in the next two days. It's all you need to know. All the underlying data would just disappear. So is the app constantly taking measurements, like at all points of the day? So for our research, we were working with a continuous uh, glucose monitor, which measures every five minutes. So continuously every five minutes, it's a little wire that's inside the the skin, basically, and it produces data point every five minutes. And once you've observed a patient, once our algorithm has observed a patient for a few days, I think about a week, we can start predicting. And then the more... The longer you look at that patient, the finer, the more refined the prediction is. You get to know them, get to know their physiology. So is this kind of a set it and forget it thing for patients? In other words, are there reminders that they would get or do they need to be monitoring themselves as closely as they would with any other product? So right now it's not implemented in a, in a patient. It's purely research, but an, an application would be that it would become part of the software that runs the insulin pumps. The insulin pumps can work in closed loop mode, so they monitor your glucose, and if you have too much, they will inject insulin right now. You could now augment that software by saying, hey, it's about to go up. Start injecting insulin gently for the future. If this takes away some of the guesswork, uh, in particular on the part of the patient, does it also take away some of the doctor's traditional work? It would probably take away some of their work, but doctors are really good at doing other things. So generally, analysts spending their time looking at a lot of data and trying to figure out what, what's in it can be simplified by machine. We, we found through the evolution of machine learning that people are incredibly important, and generally the machine doesn't replace people, it just augments them. We are great at some stuff, and the machines are really great at other stuff. Um, so they're... I don't think there's been a lot of fields where the human becomes completely useless unless it's a job that's very boring. So you could imagine, for example, looking at security cameras. If you have 20 screens in your 
on the wall and you're looking at them constantly to see if something bad happens, that's very boring. Machine can do that better. So in this case, we'll use the human for something more intelligent. So we won't put them out of work. We'll use them for something more interesting. Same with the doctors. So what kind of timelines are we looking at from now where you're in the research phase to actual implementation and placement in market? So this, unfortunately, seems pretty long. The average is 12 years from something that's been published in research that is validated. We know this does that. We know, for example, if we find that carrots cure cancer, it's going to take 12 years before physicians start prescribing carrot. It seems really long, but uh, this is due to regulatory and safety constraints. So if you discover something in research, you should discover it again another 10 times to make sure it was not a flaw in your experiment. And then you need to change the medical guidelines. Then you need to figure out the pharmacoeconomics benefit of this. Is this better for patients in the long term? So there's a whole bunch of logisticals and safety and regulatory aspects that take take place before it's implemented. Sometimes it's frustrating, uh, but it is generally for the for the best for the better of the patients. But I think this is one of the biggest challenges in the healthcare system overall, and part of the reason we haven't seen a ton of disruption in healthcare is because of regulatory hurdles and then some bureaucratic hurdles when it comes to doctors and hospitals. How can companies overcome the length of time it takes to go from research to commercialization? How do you get over that extended period? So one way is actually by shortening something else, which is the time it takes to do research. So by doing digital research, digital clinical trials, as opposed to traditional clinical trials, we can find results much quicker. We can access a lot more patients. The regular clinical trial is you take a bunch of patients, you put them, you sequester them somewhere, you give them a drug or a placebo, you see which one does better, and then you do it again, and you do it for three years on a thousand people. It's very it's a, it's a large endeavor. With digital tools, we can do that much, much faster. In fact, the more data we have, the quicker the results come out. So that part of the process is sped up. Usually it takes about 10 years to get a drug to be developed, and you say this drug works, and then another 12 years to implement it in the market, maybe. So now we can speed things up by doing the, the research part quicker. That's, I think also the regulatory framework will change because of digital tools that are different from chemical tools because digital tools don't have the same risk. When you make a new drug, it would come with side effects pretty much invariably. When you make a digital algorithm that predicts the future, it would probably make mistakes once in a while, but it would get better day by day. Whereas the drug would be exactly the same the first day you make it as when the patent expires. So I think the regulatory team would have to be able to understand that you're approving this today, knowing that it would get better and better in the future. So, Yan, I think it's safe to say you've got a pretty cool job. So thank you very much for being with us today and participating in this discussion. Thank you for having me. Yan Fassad is vice president at Click Labs, which develops digital healthcare devices and is a division of Toronto-based Click Health. Our next guest will explain how technology is helping doctors treat potentially life-threatening wounds from afar. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. This podcast was made possible through the support of Fidelity Investments. For decades, they've been giving their clients a world of innovation by investing in companies that invent the future. Ask your financial advisor about Fidelity Investments or visit fidelityinnovators.ca. Another aspect of healthcare open to new technology is trauma care. New apps and algorithms allow treatment to be delivered by doctors who are thousands of kilometers away from a patient. 
Carlo Perez is the chief executive officer of Swift Medical, a company that's developed an app that helps assess wounds on a patient's body. Carlo, hello. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Your app's used for assessing wounds and appropriate treatment. For someone unfamiliar with your app, they might think you're mainly just taking a picture of a wound, but of course, there's more to it than that. What is this app actually doing? Essentially, we build an application that allows doctors and nurses to turn their smartphone into a tricorder for wounds. They, they wave around the wound and will automatically measure and assess that wound at the point of care and uh, build a full 3D re- reconstruction, you know, measurements, etc. From there, it'll flow all of that information into a cloud backend, at which point they can start managing risk, cost, uh, compliance, uh, and essentially, of course, help their patients uh, heal their wounds faster. So we like to call that automation of wound care management from capture to claim. Are you a Star Trek fan? I am, absolutely. And um, a lot in the company have uh, been forced to be, probably because of me. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that using the word tricorder gets people more excited about the work that you're doing? Uh, absolutely. Um, it's interesting because it really speaks to the foundations of the company. I mean, I met my co-founder in aerospace engineering at the University of Toronto. He spent 10 years putting things into space leading up to uh, us founding the company. So beyond the love of Star Trek is actually also fairly meaningful for us. Getting back to the app, how does it then reconstruct the wound three-dimensionally, as you pointed out? Uh, As I was saying just now, uh, my co-founder spent a good amount of time um, in space technology. He worked on the visioning systems for the Mars rover, actually. And so when you think about that problem, uh, what the Mars rover needs to do is to land on an alien planet and using technology that we have available here, figure out what that planet looks like, what the surface looks like, and then drive around it successfully to where it needs to go. Uh, If you want to take that and kind of miniaturize it to a location on your body, if you think about a wound, it actually looks very much like the surface of the planet of Mars uh, with actually a next level amount of complexity in terms of tissue types, et cetera. So the way that it'll work is is similarly, it'll take multiple pictures um, around the wound, do a reconstruction of it, um, and then using a little bit of uh, magic and artificial intelligence, uh, get you measurements that you just wouldn't have had before. I fell off my bike recently and got a big fat, what I would call a bruise on the side of my face. Would this app help make any determinations for the doctor before I went to see him? So in one way, yes, depending on the type of reason on how hard you fell on your face. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. Pretty hard. <laughs> but uh, one of the challenges there is is understanding, you know, do you have some superficial bruise or is this something more challenging, something that would be called a, a deep tissue injury? So our application, uh, through utilization of many pictures of bruises over time, uh, starts to help doctors and nurses and eventually patients understand, you know, is this something that's really, you know, something I shouldn't be worried about? Or could this be something that could, you know, last a whole bunch longer and, and, you know, cause me a whole bunch more pain over time? For the most part, the doctor just looked at the wound and said, well, I think that'll be okay, and it'll probably heal all right. Do you think that consumers should be using this app? Is it available to them? Or is it really only for the medical profession at the moment? We think absolutely that the consumer should be using this application. Um, Today, however, we sell directly to organizations that are providers of health care, so hospitals, home health agencies, long-term care facilities, uh, and the predominant and primary users are doctors and nurses of those facilities. Now, that said, one of the things that's been really interesting over time, and I've had a chance to travel for a good long time prior to uh, you know, founding this business and the one prior to this, but you know, in those travels, I got a chance to meet a lot of people in different 
uh, you know, vulnerable communities around the world. And so, you know, in North America, for example, if you get a wound, well, it's a really big problem. It's a problem that will lead you from infection to amputation to death, potentially, if, if it goes the wrong way. But here in North America, you can, you can have that healed. In places like Indonesia for paraplegic communities, you're wheelchair-bound. And if they get a wound there, it's actually a death sentence for them. They, they don't expect it to heal. So because that is a long way of saying that where we believe this technology belongs is in the hands of patients um, themselves or mostly in the hands of the caregivers. You know, the, the 24-7 mom was taking care of their grandmother in South Asia. That's, that's really who needs this, uh, maybe more than anyone else. So what are the barriers to putting it in the hands of consumers at the moment? Is it a regulatory issue or are there other factors at play? Yeah, I think it's just a challenge to how do you reach those consumers themselves directly, which I think that barrier is reducing you know, every single day. But maybe more importantly, the way that we feel internally in the company is that where we can make the most impact right now is in these healthcare facilities where they're directly treating those wounds. Uh, and uh, you know, eventually down the road, we'll, we'll get to this kind of brighter future that we just described. You spoke of an example out of Indonesia, so a yeah. place where... You know, you might not be near a medical facility, depending on where you're located. So let's talk a bit about remote treatment. When an injury happens far from medical facilities, what can be done and how can your app help facilitate that? Yeah, so this is actually um, a real challenge that's super near and dear to to us as a company. The challenge of, of remote care, you know, we don't just feel, you know, here in or in lo- locations far away like Indonesia. Uh, we feel them kind of right here at home in Canada. So an example of a project that we're working on right now is uh, a pilot project we're working with, with the Cree communities in James Bay. So, for example, uh, there's multiple clinics up there. Uh, they have a high diabetic population and challenge. And a lot of what they need to do is when those wounds go in the wrong direction, they have to, you know, fly those folk in all the way down to to Montreal uh, and vice versa, sending clinicians from Montreal all the way to those communities. And what they really needed was a sophisticated uh, and scientifically calibrated imagery set uh, along with the proper data pieces in order to perform that the diagnostic work. And so in cases like these communities, we can save, you know, for one patient, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in avoiding flights and, and uh, et cetera, uh, just through the use of our application. And that's something that's happening here. And if you can take that model and really extend it, not just from here, but to places like Indonesia, then all of a sudden you have a real way to start expanding capacity of healthcare on a global basis uh, meaningfully. How does that process work? So let's say somebody in that Cree community was able to use your app. How exactly are they saving on that flight? What at the back end is happening that allows them to not have to make that travel expense? Yeah. So uh, some of your, your listeners may automatically think of, well, don't we have you know video cameras? Don't we have FaceTime automatically? And and so the answer to that is absolutely. You know, groups like the Ontario Telemedicine Network and Telesante are doing a great job at you know being able to connect people with live video. The challenge with that live video is that while it provides an immediate real-time interaction, it doesn't provide the precision around well, what are you actually seeing at the point of care? So what will happen is you know a patient will come into a clinic there, uh, they'll be able to take out the application image it. One of the special things that our application does is it'll do what uh, a wedding photographer would do for your wedding photos. It'll calibrate the image in terms of lighting, color, and size. And so a wound that, you know, should look, you know, red and yellow will look red and yellow instead of purple and brown. Uh, That image will then transit 
over the internet to a cloud platform, um, you know, down at, at the hospital in McGill. And from there, they'll be able to review it. Uh, and most importantly, not just review a singular instance of it, they'll be able to review it longitudinally, so over time. And from that, actually understand, well, based on these treatments over a course of you know six months, this is actually what we should be doing next. And then, of course, provide that recommendation back to that clinic so they can apply the treatment. In a lot of cases, especially with machine learning apps, sometimes the data is actually more valuable than the technology itself. Would yeah. you say that that's the case with your business? Certainly from a clinical perspective, when you think about the ways that we can really help over time, uh, having a real-world data set uh, across you know multiple different etiologies, people of different socioeconomic status, people of different comorbidities, having a data set that large and that fast-growing, uh, when we utilize that with our research partners, uh, you know, in hospitals, et cetera, that becomes you know, massively important to what we do. I would say, though, you know, from the perspective of the company as a whole, the thing that might be our our most important asset is just how strongly tied in to improving the workflow of wound care uh, we have become. You know, really this idea from capture to claim and and with empathy, making sure that we're not just building another point solution that someone puts on their phone and and now they have to click through you know five different apps and 20 different steps on each one so um, in terms of where we really derive our value it's in building that workflow building you know what is essentially through that workflow trust with the clinicians doctors that use it uh, and then of course you know a relationship with that clinician so that they can continue using our software over time this series is very much about innovation, which means it's also about disruption. Mm-hmm. So from a big picture standpoint, do you see machine learning apps like yours replacing doctors or at least part of what doctors are doing now? Yeah, um, we, we get asked this question uh, quite a bit. And I think that, one, the doctor themselves over time, I don't think they're ever going to be replaced. I mean, you just can't replace them. We, we like to talk a lot about building technology with empathy, but we cannot replace empathy. <laughs> so with regards to the functional elements that, you know, a doctor or nurse quite honestly doesn't need to, does a doctor or nurse need to know how to precisely measure all the different elements, tissue types, percentages of a wound? Probably not. That's something that they don't need to spend their time learning. But that's something that we can do really well. And what that does is it alleviates their time, quite honestly, to start doing the things that robots can't do, um, which are, are, you know, well, you came in from this part of town and you have this type of wound. And based on, you know, your current income level and the drugstore that you pass by, this is actually the treatment that I think is best for you. And we believe that when you can use technology to increase one's ability to bring the human aspect of being a doctor uh, and increase their ability to, to bring that unique aspect of what makes us human, then that makes healthcare better for all of the planet. Carlo Perez, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. Carlo Perez is CEO of Swift Medical, a Toronto company that's developed an app to help assess wounds on a patient's body. Thanks for listening to this episode of Industry Interrupted. Next week, we dive into Canada's billion-dollar water treatment industry. We'll find out how Canada's become a leader in water tech and how ready we are to deal with challenges like climate change. Climate change is going to impact quantity. And so I think we have to get better at managing that quantity. One of the big trends in industry in Canada is water recycling. And I think that's ultimately going to be the winning technology. If you can use that same drop of water on the same spot over and over again, economically, it beats everything. 
And thank you to Fidelity Investments, the sponsor of this episode. Industry Interrupted is produced by Laura Regeer, Anne Lang, Guy Dixon, and Stephanie Chan. If you liked what you heard, you can rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Any feedback? Get in touch with us at podcast at globeandmail.com. I'm Sean Stanley.